to us. And as we come to it this morning, Lord, as your psalms say, let us drink from the river of your delights that our souls would be refreshed. So God, we turn our eyes to you now to hear from you, confident that you have something to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Good morning. God is good. It's a beautiful day. And the humidity is starting to lighten up, so I'm hopeful. I I don't know about you, but on these days, just looking back at these last seven or eight months, I'm just tired. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm tired of uh, mask debates. I'm tired of... Uh, I'm tired of presidential debates that look more like an episode of Jerry Springer. I'm tired of the chaos in the political realm right now. I'm tired of arguments about vaccines and conversations about all of that and Bill Gates this. I'm just tired of all, of all, of everything going on, the debates, the arguments, the vitriol. It's exhausting, isn't it? Can we just acknowledge that? That we need to be refreshed by God? And my, my fear is that in all that's going on in the world, many believers, along with the rest of the world, had just become so distracted by getting overwhelmed by all of the things of the world that we're losing our first love. That the one who calls us to have undivided heart and an undivided gaze towards him is, is, is been put like in the background because we're, we're checking in at the latest debate over whether or not masks are efficacious or who, where, who's ahead right now, Trump or Biden. And, and, and the Lord Jesus, I think his heart is, is burning with passion for his church to turn their eyes back to him because friends, he's the only solution. He's the only hope. It's, it, it, sometimes we forget that. And sometimes we think the mass accumulation of information or being in tune with everything that's going on in the culture is going to help us navigate things. But I talk to people who are getting just consumed in it just like me and they're like, I'm just overwhelmed. There's this article over here and then there's this and it says a completely different thing and it's supported by arguments too. And ah, Lord have mercy. Friends, you see, I don't think that the solution to what's going on in in our uh, current world and in the political climate is, you know, getting new legislation or getting better leaders in office or things like that. Those are band-aids. Beware of band-aids, solutions. The, the thing that needs uh, attending to and the thing that needs our focus is the human heart, our own hearts. So I just want to speak today from my heart and not, not, not be overly dependent on a prepared sermon. I want to talk to you about the need for revival and the need for, for personal revival. You see, because that's where revival begins. We read today that the Lord, who is a good shepherd, says, He revives my soul. He revives me. What does it mean to be revived? Revival starts with you and with me. And it's what this country, this nation in particular, since this is the one we live in, it's this nation that needs revival. It needs a great move of God's Spirit to change the hearts of people. People are like this. Because their hearts need transformation. Their hearts don't have peace with God. And so this, this, what we need is revival. The, the statistics say that 205 million out of how many 330 million Americans? 205 million say that they're Christians. I don't buy it. You know why? If there were two, really 205 million real Christians, there would be 330 million Christians. Because they'd be so on fire for God that the, the, the last third of the population would get touched and people would be hearing the message of the gospel, seeing the power of the Holy Spirit on display and giving their lives to Jesus. 
You see, so I am desperate personally to see, to experience revival in my own life and in the church worldwide. Because it's the answer. Listen, I'm not talking about screaming and shouting and rolling around on the floor and things. When, you, when I talk about revival, I'm talking about Jesus. Amen? A renewed passion, love, burning hearts for Jesus. That's revival. So I want to talk today a little bit about a Psalm 23 about the shepherd who revives. He revives my soul. So I want to walk through a bit of uh, Psalm 23 this morning, the first three verses uh, primarily, to talk a little bit about three things that we need to understand for personal revival, for personal revival. The first thing, though, that I want to say before I get started on any of that is that um, to even begin to think and meditate and consider the reality that God would personally revive me, you need to have confidence that God wants to. God wants to renew your heart. God wants to get you deeper in the prayer closet. God wants to give you more boldness to share your faith. God wants to bless you and fill you with his peace. James chapter 4, it says, Do you not know that God jealously longs for the spirit he has placed within us? It's a holy and pure jealousy that God has for his people, for the depths of who we are in our spirit. He longs for communion with us. And so you have to have confidence. If if you're asking the question, does God really want to personally revive me? The answer without any shadow of a doubt is yes. He longs for the spirit he's placed within you. God has a burning heart for people. And I believe that Psalm 23... I believe it is a personal, intimate psalm of personal revival for David. I believe that's what it, what it is. And the comfort there and all of that is there. But I believe it was a personal psalm of revival. So let's just kind of look at, at a few pieces of this, a few verses from this. So that three things that, that I believe we need to understand for personal revival. Number one is who Jesus is. Now, David didn't walk with Jesus in person because Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't come along until about a thousand years after David walked the earth. But it's a foretelling, a foreshadowing. It is a prophetic pointing towards the God who would walk the earth as a shepherd, a shepherd of people. So the first thing that David says, the first thing that David says is the Lord is my shepherd. Now, throughout the Psalms, you'll notice that David generally, his tendency is to use more kind of distant and powerful names for God. Almighty, king, right? Or, or, or less personal terms, rock, refuge, strength. But here in Psalm 23, we get a gr- glimpse of David's understanding of the personableness and the tenderness of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. Shepherds are gentle caretakers. David knew God. He knew that God was a mighty warrior who fought on his behalf, but he knew him personally as a tender caretaker. You see, many of us are are not satisfied in the Lord because we don't comprehend his caring love for us. We don't comprehend his caring and nurturing personality. Some of us, we just don't, aren't satisfied in the Lord because we just are having trouble getting over the idea that he's distant and aloof and grumpy. But that's not who God reveals himself to be in the scriptures, beloved. 
And so we need to have a reshaping of our, of our image of who God is as gentle and lowly in heart, as Jesus says. Now, on the other side, listen, on the other side, there's another side of this. Many of us are not satisfied in the Lord because we don't comprehend His holiness and our responsibility to rid ourselves of the sin that so easily entangles us. It's difficult to comprehend. And I believe that for for years now in American Christianity, there's been such an emphasis on the gentle Lamb of God that we've forgotten that He's also the Lion of Judah who will come to judge the living and the dead. We We hear a little bit about it in the parable from Jesus today. He's inviting people to a banqueting table And some will refuse and will be thrown into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So in Jesus, in the person of Jesus, just think about this. He perfectly brings together this paradox of of eternal power and authority and the most tender and caring love and compassion. He brings it together in the very person of Jesus. You see, he's both, David calls him Lord and shepherd in the same breath. The Lord of heaven and earth is my shepherd, my caretaker. You see, Jesus is fiercely righteous. He is, he makes great demands of our lives, great demands, but he's also infinitely tender and approachable. It's hard for us because most of us haven't met a person like that. We've, we've had, teachers or fathers or pastors or leaders or bosses who are really heavy-handed and they're just not approachable. They get the job done and they make you get the job done, but you'd never want to sit over a cup of coffee with them. You'd just be shaking because they're not approachable. But in Jesus, we have the perfect eternal power and holiness of God brought together with God's infinite love and tender care and compassion. And it's all wrapped up in the perfect person of Jesus. He's beautiful, friends. He's beautiful. He said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's the kind of shepherd who will throw himself in front of a bus for you, who will take a bullet for you, who will do anything to save your life. He has your well-being in mind. It's amazing. No one's cared for you like that before. Not even your own parents. No one has cared for you with the tender love that Jesus uh, has. It says in Matthew chapter 9 that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. It means he was moved in his inside part of him. He had to have compassion on them because why? They were like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus looks at the world today, looks at the nation of America today, and even his own church, and he sees people wandering around in a frenzy like sheep without a shepherd. What do I do? Who do I believe? Who do I vote for? Going crazy. And he has compassion. He wants to turn our gaze towards him. So we can find rest, revival, and renewal in our hearts. Then David, you see, he he understood that personal revival, it requires a total vision of who God is. It can't be lopsided. It can't be all, all, God is just only gentle and forgiving and gracious and loving kindness. There's not really, you know, sin, sin doesn't really matter that much. And it cannot be that God is just uh, uh, harsh and angry and wrathful towards sin. And that's who he is. And that's all there is to say about it. So better act act up or better not act up better stay in line 
You see, to, to have experienced personal revival, you get a vi- bigger vision of God, a total vision of who he is. God, you are glorious and holy, and you make demands of my life, and I am to live a holy life as you are holy, and I've got to get rid of the things that keep me from being close to you. But God, thank God you're so patient, and you're so tender, and your gentle hand redirects me and disciplines me when I need it, because you're a good father. See, only will that total vision of who God is, that accurate biblical vision of who God is, help us to have renewed hearts. We can't be lopsided. We'll have a false vision of who God is. David goes on and he says, I shall not be in want. I don't know about you, but when I wake up in the morning, I just want. I want. I want coffee. I want food. I want to check the email and see what messages have come in through the night. I want But uh, one translation puts it, I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. If you have Jesus, friends, you have everything. I was in prayer this morning in the prayer closet this morning, and the Lord gave me a thought. What if everything was stripped away from you? What if you had nothing, no job, no ministry, no church, no family, no possessions, no home? Would I be enough for you? It was a very challenging thought. But you know why he gave it to me? So that my heart would have the capacity to love him more. Jesus is everything. An author I've been reading lately, Eric Gilmore, he says, maturity in the Christian life is maintaining a radical reduction to Jesus and only Jesus. We've made it so complicated. We've made it overly complicated. If you have Jesus, you have everything. He's so good. He's so good. It's so simple. It's so simple. The path to personal revival is to make Jesus the center of your life, to make him your everything, to know him intimately, to talk to him, to give him your time, your resources, your energy, to pour everything into him who has poured everything out for you. The second thing that we need to understand for personal revival is what Jesus provides. What Jesus provides. Verse 2 says, He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. This is a shepherd who has the well-being of his sheep in mind. It's his primary focus is to lead his sheep into places where they'll be nourished and cared for and safe from wolves. Jesus said again in John 10, he called himself the good shepherd. And he also went on and said, I am the gate for the sheep. He said, whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. See, this is a picture of the gospel. He's a gate, right? He's a gate that's open to all who would come to him. He's not a gate trying to keep people out. He's a gate that's open and inviting people to come in and to receive forgiveness of sins through the work on his cross so that they will be saved, which means safe, eternally safe in his presence, in his flock, in his pasture. That's the invitation that Jesus gives to sinners and sufferers. You see, apprehending the, the work of the cross of Calvary is, is, is absolutely crucial to our relationship with God. And it's vital to personal revival, personal renewal, apprehending the work of the cross. Confidence. 
like a real serious self-evaluation that I'm a broken sinner and my heart wants to go after everything other than God. Like being real with yourself about that. Let's be honest. I'm a broken sinner and my heart wants to go after everything but God. But God, in His radical and lavish, unfathomable love, sent His Son to come after me and to pay the price for my sin, which kept me looking for everything but Him, to pay the price for my sin, to make me a son, to make me a daughter. Radical, lavish love. And so you, you have to have that proper self-evaluation to understand that without him, I'm just a broken sinner. I'm a rebel. C.S. Lewis said, we're like rebels. We're not like people who need like better instruction. He says, we're like rebels who need to lay down our arms because we're in a rebellion against God. And having a right self-evaluation of that and also confidence that my sins, regardless, despite all that, have been washed away by the blood of Jesus and I'm a new person. I'm reconciled. I'm, 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 I'm forgiven. And even when I mess up, I, I, I'm quick to, 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 God is quick to forgive and to forget my mistakes and my sins against Him because I'm in Christ. That's good news. Because it allows us this is, this is what allows us, it's central because it's what allows us to move deep into his presence for intimacy. God didn't die for your sins to tolerate you. God died for your sins to have intimacy with you. It's not about being able to kind of hold his nose at your sinful stink and allow you reluctantly into heaven. It's about an embrace by the one who's both Lord and shepherd who created you for personal, tender relationship with him. Who Jesus is, number one, what Jesus provides. David said, he leads me to still waters. He leads me beside quiet waters. You see, Jesus talked to the woman at the well and he said his presence was a spring of eternal life. It was a spring that would well up. If she took a drink of it, it would well up into eternal life. You see, we're thirsty. We're thirsty people. That's why we're trying to fill our thirst with everything around us because we're thirsty for something. And Jesus says, look, I'm the only one who can slake that thirst eternally, forever." It's what he provides. Psalm 36, 8, you give them drink from the river of your delights. Beloved, do you delight in God's presence? Do you delight in the presence of Jesus? Or do you just go to him to ask him for a few things? Do you actually sit there and learn and just sit there and just enjoy his presence? It's a river of delight. You'll never know unless you do it, unless you jump in, right? You'll never know what it feels like to be wet unless you jump in the river. And the good news is, is that river is always flowing. That river that flows from the center of Jesus' heart, it's always flowing. And we get in it, and we don't try to... (laughs) We get in the canoe, and we let the river take us deeper and deeper and deeper into the very life of God. That is the shepherd who revives. 
The third thing is this. It's what is required of me. The third thing that I have to have an understanding of for personal revival is what is required of me. And there's a reason that I did the first ones first because who Jesus is and what he's done is foundational to everything that we do in our Christian life. The way that we walk, the way that we carry ourselves, the the way that it influences our ethical and moral decisions. The, the, The cross of Jesus Christ is the foundation of all of that. But at the same time, there's something required of me. And this is the part of the sermon where you begin to go, oh, I don't know why I came Sunday this morning. I don't know if I'm going to like this one on Facebook. Because look, God has called our lives to righteousness. Let me, let me just go into Psalm 3 for a minute and just, and just demonstrate this. I started kind of digging in and, and it, like any time there's something in the Bible that I'm not sure what it means, I have to go to people who are smarter than me and read what the scholars have to say to it, say to me. But, um, I, I discovered some interesting things about this verse. So it tells us that he revives my soul. Now there's sort of a twofold meaning to this. And one is the clear and obvious meaning of refreshment and restoration. Hallelujah. God never is in a mood where he doesn't want to offer you refreshment and restoration. Amen. He's not running short on refreshment of soul for any of us. But the, the, the second part of the, 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 the meaning of the word in the Hebrew for revives is to be converted. That means this, to be converted, to return, okay? The same kind of idea of repentance, right? To turn and to go back and to be restored. You see, re- repentance and turning back towards the Lord is the means of the restoration, the refreshment, and the revival, God's not going to pour out revival upon you if you are turned towards other things. He can't. You're trying to find, you're trying to find renewal in those things. So there's this twofold meaning. One is, is refreshing and strengthening and nourishing. And the shepherd, he provides it freely and happily. Praise God. The second meaning is to be converted and to turn back to him. And so we are refreshed when we turn from other things back to him. I, 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 just speaking from personal experience, I'm not Mr. Super Spiritual. I am, I am tragically aware of how easy my love for Jesus grows cold because of stuff, because of all the stuff around me that's always beckoning for my attention. Food, entertainment, right? Everything, te- screens. I'm no stranger to understanding what it means to grow cold in your love for jesus and i'm even in a season of life right now where i feel like a year ago i was experiencing personal revival and it's like one day you just wake up and you're like man i'm not in the prayer closet like i used to be i'm not sharing the gospel with people like i used to be lord what's going on and the words of revelation from the mouth of jesus come and hit you hard you've lost your first love right it's so easy and so many of us don't even realize it it's such a slippery slope. Well, tonight, yeah, I was going to pray. Tonight, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to do the Netflix thing just for tonight. And then the next thing you know, oh, well, oh, that was a cliffhanger episode. I got to start the ne- next one. I'm not saying it's sinful and evil to watch TV, but if it becomes more pleasurable to us than spending time with the Lord, something's off. I wrestle with it personally all of the time. It's an, on, it's an ongoing battle. But you see, when we turn from Jesus to lesser things whether it's food or drink or sex or entertainment or, 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 or screens, we, we become weary. Our souls become weary. We become starved. And you know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11? Come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened. 
so that weariness might be because of your own sin and your own distractedness with the things of this world. And yet, and yet, he doesn't say, get ready for the lightning bolt. What does he say? Come to me. Drink from the river of delight and find your thirst slaked, quenched, refreshment. We have to recognize our our need to consciously turn back to him. Like it doesn't just happen. It's an act of the will. It doesn't just happen. You're not going to wake up feeling like, hey, I feel good and ready to experience personal revival in the presence of Jesus in my life. It's a conscious act of the will to say, God, I don't feel like praying instead of scrolling through Facebook tonight for 45 minutes, but I'm going to because I want to want personal revival in my own life so that I'll be effective for the kingdom. Trust me. If only, if only that feeling and that desire would just like come out of nowhere. That'd be great, wouldn't it? But see, God's given us hearts that have free will. He wants us to want him. He wants us to make acts of the will that actually strengthen our desire and deepen our desire for him. And as we begin to do that, even the smallest efforts, if your, if your faith and your effort is placed in the right object or the right person, you will be blessed and he will continue to help you out. You see, when, when, when children, I have a two and a four-year-old, so I've gone through the kids learning to walk thing a, a quite a bit in the last few years. And they start to walk and you have to hold their hands. They start to hold, they, they, you hold their hands and then you go, oh, and they, you know, they take a couple steps and, <laughs> oh, and then you, you know, you help them up, you brush them off, you get them situated, you dry the tears and you keep helping them, you keep helping them. Until finally that time. And then they, and then they make it across the room and, oh, mommy and daddy are so proud of you, right? Some, something like the Christian life. Just like that. Right? God, He will begin to hold on to our hand and to help us and He gives us those kind of emotional boosters that we need when we're baby Christians to know His presence. But then, what He does, because He wants us to actually learn to walk across the room, is He, is He takes the training wheels off. And he lets us go through those feelings of dryness and doubt and wondering where he is. And everything forward in our life hinges on how do we respond in those times? Do we really love him? Or do we just love the feeling that we had as a baby Christian? The Bible is always talking about growing up and getting off milk and going on to meat. He uses that metaphor. Getting off the, the baby bottle and eating the steak. Growing up in our Christian life. But it, re, it involves learning to step out on our own and make decisions to draw close to Jesus. And oh, how he eagerly desires to see us do that. So he says, he revives my soul and he leads me on right pathways for his name's sake. Or what does our version in the bulletin say? He leads me in paths of righteousness. So he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So the right pathways or paths of righteousness, I looked because I didn't really know exactly. And the scholars say this is about moral conduct. This is about right living. He leads me on paths of right living, right? Right decision making, holy living 
for his name's sake. See, major misconception. Jesus' goal is not to make us nice. His goal is to make us good. Good people who are formed by the goodness of God will be the kindest people that you've ever met. They should be. You hear me? Jesus, but Jesus' primary goal is not to make us nice. It's to make us good. The Bible says that we are to be conformed to the image of his son. We're to become like Jesus. So Jesus' goal is to make us like Jesus, which is good, which is kind, which is compassionate, but fiercely righteous and committed to holy living. He loves us with everlasting love, but he also requires that we live righteous lives. And some of us are not getting the breakthrough of personal revival is because we have these little pet sins that we're still holding on to. The Lord is bringing them to mind right now for some of us. The little place in my, that little tiny hidden like closet in my house, nobody gets in there. What is it for you? What is it for you? Because those things, Jesus will not enter a home where he's not totally welcome. He's not mean, but because he knows what is best for us, he will not offer himself partially to us or take part of us. He demands all. That's love, not legalism. That's love, not legalism. He wants us all to belong to him. And I know, beloved, it's a process for me. It's a process for me of growing into belonging totally to him, not only in my righteous position before God, which is already established, but in the walking it out in my life of totally belonging to him. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not blessed are those who, you know, think, well, I should be good, but those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That is right living, right relationship with God and with others. Blessed are those who thirst for it, who go after it with everything in their being. So do you hunger and thirst? See, everybody thinks law, God's law is like this bad word or this bad thing. David said in another psalm, in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. When you live in alignment with God's law, it refreshes your soul. It's what you were made for, righteous living, righteous living. And then he says this, we're almost there, for his name's sake. He leads me into righteous living for his name's sake. What does he mean by that? That Hebrew word, Shem, it means reputation. It means for the sake of his reputation. His name is on you, Christian. Not just here in the pews on Sunday morning. His name is on you in traffic on Maitland Boulevard. His name is on you in Starbucks. His name is on you at Publix. His name is on you in the workplace. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his reputation's sake. You see, our conduct will either shame or vindicate the name of Jesus. Are you sweating yet? I am. But it's not bad news. 
It's good news. It's reviving news. It revives our hearts. You see, when our unbelieving friends and family and co-workers observe our conduct, our behavior, our manner of life, is there anything noticeably different about us? So what if they call you goody-two-shoes who will never even tell a lie or cheat on their taxes? Who cares? You're vindicating his reputation because you carry his name. It's a glorious It's a glorious responsibility. We are currently experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by for a continued broadcast. (laughs) Something died. The Facebook feed, did it die? Okay. We're all back to square one. (laughs) She said start over. What do you all want to vote? Yeah? No? You're hungry? I saw the look of, uh, shut up on your eyes when she said that. Quiet up there, you. She just was on vacation last week. She just wants more and more scripture. A person who experiences personal revival, hungering for the presence of Jesus, will, will, no doubt about it, by virtue of their proximity to the Lord, live a righteous life before other people. When you look at the life of Jesus, you know what's so beautiful about it? It's a righteous life. He he does no wrong. There is no slander, gossip, wickedness found on his lips. There's also no holding back of the truth. There's gentleness, compassion, tenderness, forgiveness of enemies. It's a righteous life. That's what's so beautiful about it because righteousness is beautiful. It's good. And we live in a world that tries to make us question that. In so many ways. So what do I need? What do I need for personal revival? A place of prayer and a thirsty soul. A quiet place and a thirsty soul. Jesus is calling today. Not not next week or the week after. Jesus is calling us, each and every one of us. He said in John 7, anyone who is thirsty, can come to me. Anyone who is thirsty, don't let fear of rejection keep you away. It doesn't matter what you've been doing or not doing, even if you have shamed his name and you know it. Don't be driven away. Be drawn back into. That's what he's calling back into. Back into my wandering sheep. Back into green pastures. Back to the still waters. You wandered, but I came after you. That's the voice of a shepherd who revives his goal to renew. I heard a definition of prayer as a quiet heart burning with love for him. A quiet heart burning with love him it's beautiful i wish i would have made it up and so some of us just need to go and say jesus i've been drinking from muddy pools instead of from the rivers of eternal life i've been drinking from broken cisterns and swampy water when you're offering me the most pure beautiful 
water of eternal life. Friends, he won't turn you away. He won't turn you away. Let me close with this. I've closed with it probably many times in sermons, but it's what the Lord brought to mind this morning as I finished up my prayer time. Jesus writing to the church in Laodicea, speaking to the church in Laodicea in the book of Revelation. And he, he, he has a little something of a challenge and a rebuke for every church and a little something of encouragement for every church. But he tells the church in Laodicea, these are probably maybe the most stinging words you could hear from the voice of Jesus. But he says, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. I wish you'd make up your mind about where you stand in love, in your relationship of loving me. And he says, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, where did you go? But listen, listen. Down to verse 19. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Those whom I love. Those whom I love. So be earnest and repent. Then he says this. These are words to Christians, not unbelievers. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You see the tenderness of that picture? So today, if that's you, if you're lukewarm, you know in your heart right now, I'm not hot or cold. I'm just sort of floating out there in between and I need my passion for Jesus to be rekindled. Just for the rest of this worship service today, just, just do this. Just keep just taking the gaze of your spirit and putting it back on him. And you'll leave refreshed. Amen? You'll leave refreshed. doesn't matter what the, re- the rest of the words that we say through the liturgy or what the song choices are today. If you turn your eyes and your gaze back to him through the rest of today's worship, you can leave refreshed and revived and on a new journey of personal revival with the shepherd who revives. Remember, he's a shepherd who leads us out of dry and rocky, arid places and into green pastures. Let's pray. Father, we, we, we lament and we mourn the state of our nation right now. Father, we, we, we know that even more than we grieve, you grieve, Lord, when you look down and you see the wickedness and you see uh, the violence, Lord, and you see the, 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 the stances and the way that we take our stances and you see, Lord, the, the, the way that we are just beating each other up and killing each other and, 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 and complicating violence and wickedness with more violence and wickedness, Lord. And as Bishop Greg said in his, in his letter to the diocese last week, that we see the manifest evidence of the judgments of God in this nation. That, Lord, but we know also that in those judgments there's a call 
that those who belong to you would turn their eyes to you and seek you for revival, God, and be the people who stand in the midst of everything going on around us, all of this work of the enemy, and stand up against it as your church and to boldly proclaim that there is a name. There is a name upon whom men and women can call and so be saved and delivered and made whole. So, Father, revive our hearts and the depths of who we are. God, I pray for every one of us today that this is the day that we would take a stand and make a conscious decision to experience the revival that you have for each of us personally so that others around us would smell the pleasing aroma of Christ and find him to be their shepherd. In your name, Jesus. Amen.